Somebody give him some praise tonight. He's worthy, amen. Let me just say tonight, I'm happy to be in the house of the Lord, amen. You know, I was talking to the worship team just a few minutes ago about Exodus, Exodus I believe it's chapter 33, where we're talking about where Moses is having a conversation with God. And I believe it's just one of my favorite passages is where he says, God, if you don't go, I, I'm not going. We don't, there's, no, there's no sense in it. You know, and in our nation, I think that needs to be our heart to God. Lord, we need you again, amen.
As we continue to worship tonight, I just encourage you, engage with God and tell him, Lord, I need you more today than I did yesterday. He's an unstoppable God. Nothing is impossible with him, amen. How many believe that tonight? So as we continue to worship, let's let our hearts connect with him, amen.
your name, Lord. Surrender all 
today about the service tonight and I felt like there was some of you that were here tonight were afraid that some things that had been hidden became uncovered or revealed and it put fear in your heart and this is the word of the Lord to you God reveals and uncovers the hidden things so that he can heal them And God wants you to know tonight that those things that have been hidden, that have come to your attention and has put fear in you, God is uncovering them so that he can do a work and he can heal them. And his promise is that he will give you wisdom and strength. And so we're going to have a ministry time around the front, and we want to pray with those of you that are going through some difficult times right now. Maybe some things have been uncovered in your life, whether it's illness, something in your marriage or your finances, your business, in family relationships. But I want you to know that our God is a miracle-working God, and when He uncovers things, He will heal them. We're going to call our, our prayer team forward, and we're going to believe for miracles tonight. We're going to believe for some things that were uncovered to be healed and restored, and we invite you to come forward for prayers. We continue to worship. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. You are leaving home. You'll be resurrected. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of love. When my heart becomes free. If my shame is undone And you will resurrect, Lord And Holy Spirit, you are welcome here Come love this place and feel the You are welcome. 
Bless your name, Jesus. You're worthy. You alone are worthy, Lord. Why don't you turn around and greet a few people tonight and tell them how happy you are to see them? Because we need your revival. Holy Spirit, fire. Burning ever in our souls. Kings and kingdoms falling. Hear your Welcome to Church on a Rock. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us. In the back of the chair in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of opportunities to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you're a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you. You can either drop it in the offering or you can take it across the hall to the Connect Room where you'll receive a free gift bag. We offer Saturday night meals and snacks between Sunday services. And don't forget, the coffee bar is always open. We are so glad you're here and we hope that you know there's always a place for you at Church on the Run. 
Australia. We're going on a mission trip to Indonesia November 18th through December 5th. We'll be visiting four unreached people groups, the Madaris, Arangdarat, Makassar and Sasak peoples. The main focus of our trip is to do worship and prayer, to be able to pave the way for other teams from Perth to be able to come and share the gospel. We really appreciate your prayers and support for us to accomplish everything God has set out for us to do during this time. Thanks so much. On Thanksgiving week, our regular Wednesday night service will be moved to Tuesday, November 24th with a Thanksgiving family meal from 5.15 to 6.15 in the Connect Cafe. You must RSVP for the meal by November 20th. It's $4.50 a person or $18 per family. Well, amen. How many are glad you're in the house of the Lord tonight? Amen. You know, ushers are coming forward. They've got some little invite cards. I want you to grab a stack of those and take with you. Of course, remember Abby and Joel our missionaries from our church, and if you want to ever give to them, just mark on the offering, Abigail or Joel, and it'll get to them. But these little cards, you know, this little card has the power to keep somebody from hell. I mean, it really does. I mean, it's, it's that simple. Is there anybody here that you're here because somebody invited you or gave you one of these cards? Could I just see your hand? I mean, I want to look around a little bit. I mean, most people are here because you get an invitation. This is an easy way to do it. We had a lady that's uh, our, one of our um, greeters out there that she went to the bank and the little tube came out on the drive-thru, and one of these fell out. And she was, at that time, praying for the Lord, saying, I need a place to go. And then she sees this, there's a place for you. And she came to Connect class, and she's here now. So uh, powerful little tools. Take a bunch of those and hand them out, especially coming into this Christmas season, because so many people are just more sensitive to the Lord and what's going on in their life. We're going to continue to worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings. You know, in our Bible reading guide, just uh, this last week, we were reading in uh, Psalms, and uh, the longest chapter, 119, but verse 165, verse 165. Great peace have those that love your law, and nothing shall cause them to stumble. That's one of Smith Wigglesworth's favorite verses. But just think of that. When you love this law, when you love his precepts, when you love his commandments, nothing's going to trip you up. And it'll be great peace. And, you know, there's several commandments and um, laws in the Old Testament that didn't carry over into the New Testament. Like, you know, we can now eat pork and catfish. Anybody want to say praise the Lord for one of those two? But uh, but there's some things that, you know, weren't reinforced again in the New Testament. But tithing was one of those things that Jesus reaffirmed, and he actually said, yes, you should tithe. And so that's one of those things where you return that 10% to the Lord. The Bible says it's holy. And I don't know about you, but since I started doing that, yeah, there's still financial struggles at times, but I have a peace. I just know he's going to take care of my needs. There's a peace that can come, and I don't stumble over those things. Well, how many know there's people that stumble when the church starts talking about money? They just start stumbling for some reason. Oh, well, all they were this and that, and the enemy speaks into their life. But I'm telling you, God's looking for a people that he can pour out finances on to see this end-time harvest, and then he can trust you. And I think there's people in our church because you just have such a heart for missions. As a matter of fact, why don't we watch a little celebration video from the 25, I think, team that went to Mexico do construction and all sorts of stuff. So let's watch that little video, and then you can go ahead and turn in your offerings. Vestido en majestad, la tierra alegre está, la tierra alegre está, cubierta. 
Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree, bending beneath the weight of His wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions, eclipsed by glory, and I realize just. How beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. And oh, how he loves us so. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us so. Let's just reach out to heaven together this evening. Oh, and we are his portion, but he is our prize. We're drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. The grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. Oh, so heaven meets earth like unforeseen kiss, and my heart turns to fire. Out of my chest, I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way He loves us. Oh, how He loves us! Oh, how He loves us! Oh, how he loves me. He loves, he loves me. me. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. Thank you, Lord. Let's close your eyes a moment as we just stand in the presence of God. Oh, how he loves me. grateful, Lord, that you don't hold my sins against me, that I don't have to perform to earn your love. But while I was yet a sinner, the Bible says Christ died for me. I want to thank you today, Lord, that I don't have to carry shame and guilt. 
Come on, begin to just thank God for that right now. If I confess my sins before you, you wash me and make me clean and new. and, And you give me, Lord, a brand new start in life. And, Lord, I don't have to run away from you because there's nowhere I can hide. I love you today, Lord. We love you today. Lord, would you just come near to us tonight? Would you just come? Would you just open our eyes and let us see in a greater fashion the love that God has for us and other people? Lord, as we open the Bible together, could its words just jump off the page? Would it just live in us tonight? And might you help us, Lord, become more aware of your presence every moment of our life. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Sing it one last time. Oh, how he loves me. Yeah, he loves me. in Paris, a thousand FBI investigations going on in ISIS and American soil, earthquakes in Oklahoma, an economy that's standing on its head. Lord, would your presence just draw near to us now, wash fear away and anxiety? Come on, I want you to pray that right now. The heaviness, the Bible says in his presence, there's fullness of joy. So, Lord, we want to ask for that right now, that your Holy Spirit would just wash the junk away. Lord, that you'd wash the desire for the things of the world away. Come on, pray that right now. And let my heart just desire the courts of my God in a way that I've never done before. And I pray this today in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Hey, tell your neighbor, you are glad to see him tonight. And you may be seated. Hey, I'm glad you're here this evening. Before we open the Bible together, I need to make a confession. I have to ask you to forgive me, too. The Dallas Cowboys have lost six in a row, and I have not prayed for them, so I want to ask you to forgive me. And as I told you last week, many of you aren't able to get my humor, so when it comes across, I'm going to let you know here in the days ahead, but they do play at 12 o'clock tomorrow. Turn your Bibles, Luke chapter 15, Luke 15, we have been exploring together, and the scripture will be on the screen, John 3.16, the most popular verse in the Bible, I believe. Could you say this together with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, that's a great promise. We focused for the last few weeks on that first part that said, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world, he lo- and then he wants us to do the same, love your neighbor as yourself. So how many know God loves people that wants us to love people that are different from us, people that are difficult? We learned about loving needy people. Last week, we learned that I matter to God. But this evening, I want to focus on the second part of this verse. It said, he gave his only son. Now, here's, the, here's what I want to ask you. Why did God do that? Why did he give his only son? Why did God allow Jesus to die on a cross, a hideous death? And I'll tell you quite simply, friends, it's because lost people matter. Let me say it again. Lost people matter. 
Luke chapter 15, we began here last week. I want to use this as a starting place. Luke 15, Jesus is going to tell three parables in this story. Remember last week, he told, we, we looked at the parable of a lost son. Well, I want to pause on Luke 15, verse 1, where it said that tax collectors and other notorious sinners came to listen to Jesus teach. Not a term we use in America today, this idea of a sinner. It's a popular biblical term. Most of the time it's used in America. It has some sense of of self-righteousness from the one that's saying it. But it was pretty clear to Jesus and pretty clear to the world uh, uh, who these notorious sinners were. Well, they came to listen to Jesus teach, and this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain because Jesus was associating with sinful people. It's almost as if the broken people of the world, like you and I, were drawn to Jesus and the religious people were angry that he was hanging out with them. Jesus told them a story. Jesus said, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? That word lost is a key word we'll talk about tonight as lost people matter. And this is a picture in this passage of God's care for people that are away from him, that have wandered away from him. Jesus went on to say, won't he leave the 99 in the wilderness and search for the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he finds it, uh, it's found, verse 6, he'll call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Now I want you to put yourself in this parable because that's what people, uh, people are that are away from God. We're lost sheep. And in the same way, Scripture says there is great joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 righteous people who haven't strayed away. Now here's the picture as we look at this passage, that word, a lost sinner, certainly not a word that's used in our culture a lost sinner who repents. Now, the definition of that phrase, it means to be lost, to be a sinner, means to miss the target. If you're a bow hunter and you've been, been uh, hunting deer with a bow, well, let me know when you practice and you've got the, let's say you've got a big target with a bullseye and you pull back and you shoot, if you don't hit it dead on, you've missed the target. You could be off six inches or you could miss the whole target that you're shooting at. That's the way my life has been in the past and sometimes now I miss the target. I miss God's standards. I miss God's righteous ways. This is what it means to be a lost sinner. I miss the way that God would have me to go. As we shared last week, it's like a traveler going to Dallas. And someone says, how do I get to Dallas? I want to take my wife on a, on a, on a, on a date and have a lot of fun. And, and I say, well, you just get on I-30 and you go north. The time you get to New Boston, something overcomes you. And you say, you know what? I don't want to listen to that guy. I don't want to go up I-30. I, I, want, to go, I want to take Highway 8. You've got no idea where you are. You've got no idea where it's going. You just kind of in defiance go that way. Well, isn't that exactly what we do to God's ways sometimes? We know God wants us going west towards Dallas, but we just say, I'm headed up Highway 8. And as we go up Highway 8, it's a very foggy night, and unbeknownst to us, there's been storms that have happened, and a flood ripped through there, and one of the bridges are out across Highway 8. There's no traffic. You're driving fast. And if someone doesn't stop you, you're going to face ultimate destruction because you're lost, you're heading the wrong direction, and it's going to end up with tragedy in your life. Well, how many know that's exactly what it means when people are away from God? God's concerned about lost people. He's concerned about us when we're on the wrong track. God wants to get us back on the right track. He wants us to walk with Him, to, to, to have fellowship with Him, to have 
have relationship with him. And when we don't, the scripture would call us a lost sinner. This, pa- this parable teaches us, and a parable again is a story, taking something practical in life and bringing a spiritual illustration. And this parable illustrates to us the fact that God loves us and he takes great pains to find us. I want you to hear this today. Listen, you're in church on a Saturday night, but there are literally hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people just in our little town, our little region here that are not bent on doing something good tonight. I mean, they're going to party. I understand. I did it one time. They're going to do things at that party that they'd be ashamed of if they had a microphone in church. There's people riding up and down this interstate, likely with with drugs in some cars that are going to be distributing those drugs. There's people that are perhaps bent on violence and murder. Gang members could be coming up and down this interstate. People are going so many different directions, but I want to tell you, they're lost and they matter to God. And if they matter to God, they should matter to us. I don't want to sit in the church and be self-righteous because let me know I was like many people are today. I was walking down a pathway that promised me fun and happiness but ended up with pain and destruction. It's like you're going 70 miles an hour up Highway 8 and there's a bridge out and you need someone to reach out to you and help the lost person get on the right track. Helping lost people is the most important job a Christian has. Let me say it again. Helping lost people is the most important responsibility we have for the souls of men and women. I mean, when we get to heaven, we can worship uh, all the time. But there's one thing you won't be able to do in heaven, and that is to be able to reach someone that doesn't know Jesus Christ. Let's talk about it. I've entitled it Lost People Matter. And let me ask this question first. How in the world did we get lost? How did you and I get off track? How did that little baby, how many know when that child, uh, as soon as they're born pretty much, they learn if they will whine and cry loud enough, they'll get what they want most of the time. How many know nobody has to teach them to say no, they just pick it up naturally. Nobody has to teach them to hit other kids and bite other kids. Something is inside them. The Bible says that we were all brought forth in iniquity. In other words, there's something in our DNA that causes us to miss the mark. Well, here's how we got lost, and it's quite simple, by not following God's directions. And here's the first boo-boo, Genesis 2.15. The Scripture says, The Lord God took the man Adam, and he put him in the garden of Putin. He put him in the garden of Eden to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, now here's the, where we get off track, he commanded him, he told him to go west on 30. He commanded him, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. Now, I enjoy the outdoors. I enjoy going to botanical gardens. I enjoy, you know, when flowers are blooming. Uh, if I go to a town, I've got some time on my hand, my wife's with me. I just want to go see the glory of creation. I want to smell the fragrance of a, of a rose. I want to smell that, uh, what is it that grows, smells so good? Oh, my mind is blank, honey. I pick those flowers all the time and they're growing. Uh, no, you know, help an old man. Gardenia. I got a big gardenia bush at the house and it just blooms all summer long and I'll pick them and put them on my wife's steering wheel of a car, put it in the bathroom, wherever. And it just amazes me how beautiful that is. Well, who knows what the Garden of Eden was like? I mean, before the fall of man, there were no stickers, there were no snakes. 
I mean, when I work out in the yard, I put snake boots on, you know, because of copperheads. Well, there's nothing like that. There was no mosquitoes. Uh, you, you'd never step on a rock and pierce your foot. It was a perfect place. It was a beautiful place. And it was food that, like, you know, you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't have to go through great labor to get food. you just pick it off the tree. And, I mean, it was a beautiful place. But God said, I'm going to put a fence around one tree. The only problem is it doesn't have barbed wire. It's separated simply by your will to say yes to me and follow my directions. You can eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day you eat it, you shall. Now, when Adam and Eve ate that piece of whatever it was, the fruit, did they die? No. They didn't die physically at that moment, but they would die physically later on. You see, death, as the Bible speaks of it, death is not only a physical death that will happen one day, but death is a spiritual separation from God. When they disobeyed God's command, it was the first sin, and it affected all of us. It entered the DNA of every human being. Romans 3.23, and let me kind of just, as we're talking about how in the world do we get off base, and what does it mean, and how do we get back on track, let me lay just a little foundation. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that everyone has sinned. Every one of us has missed the mark. Some of us may miss the mark by one inch. Some of us may miss it by a foot. And some of us may shoot straight up in the air. But how many know to miss it is to miss it. We've all sinned against God and fallen short. And the great tragedy is sin brings judgment. Romans six twenty three for the wages or the outcome of sin is death. It causes people to be put in jail. It causes people to be in prison. It causes people to be shot at the roadway on Texarkana in the middle of the night. Are you with me today? It causes people to take drugs and have a drug overdose. Sin brings forth death. It causes a husband to act in violent ways towards his wife. It causes parents to yell at their children and do despicable things. It is sin in the human race. We've all fallen short, but the Bible goes on to say that God doesn't leave us without hope. It says the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We will face the portal of death, but we can live again because of Christ. Sin causes death. Sin causes eternal separation from God in a real place called hell. But aren't you glad that there's a way out? Now, again, just a basic Christian foundation. Jesus offers that way out of judgment. Romans 10 verse 13, it says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. To call in the name of the Lord means to confess our sin. It means to believe in Christ and follow him. Let me say it again. To call on the name of the Lord means to believe in Christ, to confess our sins and to turn and follow him. To be saved means to be rescued, to be made safe from the judgment of sin. It's as if we're drowning in a swimming pool. Somebody pushed us in. Adam pushed us in. We don't know how to swim. We can't get out. We're too far from the edge, and we're just flailing, and we need someone to rescue us. Come on, because we are people away from God. Now, let me illustrate this with a little quick video about a guy that it escapes me how he's become a, a household name, but Phil Robertson's testimony amazes me every time I see it. Now, we're thinking about lost people and how they matter to God. Listen to his testimony just a moment. He became more and more mean and mean-spirited. And what I would tell my boys all the time is, that's not your daddy. 
That's the devil in your daddy. I would say the low point is when I ran Miss Kay and the kids off. You're all alone, no hope, miserable. That's when I began to serious contemplate, is there a way out of all this? So I came to Miss Kay and she said, you know the guy that came up there to the beer joint that time and wanted to talk with you? I said, yep. And you ran him off? I said, yeah. Why don't you sit down with him and, and just see what he has to say? So I sat down with this guy. He said, Phil, what do you think the gospel is? And I said, I don't know, gospel music on the radio or something like that. He said, you don't even know what it is. I said, I don't guess I do. I didn't even know what the gospel of Jesus was. So when he went through Jesus coming down in flesh through a little virgin girl, Mary, dying on a cross, being buried and raised from the dead, I'm like, how in the world did I ever miss that? I had missed it. I was blown away when I heard that Jesus died for me, was buried and raised from the dead. Something so, it is simple but profound that happened back there almost 2,000 years ago. I had never heard it. When we came back home, I think there was a note that said they had gone to the church building. So we headed in there, and when we got into the auditorium, I just stopped because there he was up in the baptistry with a man. And the boys all stopped, and they were on each side of me. And <clears throat> I remember just looking at them. And he was, I heard Phil say, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to follow him from this day forward. And I looked down at each one of the boys. Tears were rolling down their eyes. Even three-year-old, three-and-a-half-year-old Willie Jess, big tears were coming down. And the next thing I knew, he was baptized. And I come up, and the boys started hollering and singing, jumping all over the place. And they said, my daddy, my daddy saved, my daddy saved, my daddy saved. They were so happy. And it was the, it was the complete family then. Now, who would have ever thought that a redneck from he Louisiana would have a voice to America wearing camo clothes, and just boldly talking about Jesus wherever he goes. Who would have ever thought? I guarantee you, he didn't have any idea that that would be a part of his life. I mean, he'd gone to college. He had his athletic career was behind him. He loved to hunt ducks. He was trying to make some money. But the greatest uh, uh, use of his life was something he never experienced until somebody went to the beer joint and tried to tell him about Jesus. And remember, we're talking about lost people matter. They matter to God. And when the first time this person tried to talk to him about Jesus, what did he say? Well, they kicked him out of the club. 
But then when he reached the lowest point of his life, when he realized that I'm going to lose my wife, I'm going to lose my kids, my life is going nowhere, I'm turning into an alcoholic, his wife had this idea, why don't you talk to that guy again that said that there's hope for you? And all of a sudden, his ears were open and he began to hear, he began to listen, just like I did in August 15, 1976. I was listening to the testimony of a man I did not even know, and just like this guy, before I knew it, I've turned my life over to Christ. And it all happens because somebody cares enough about a lost sheep. And that's exactly what Phil Robertson was. That's exactly what I was. That's exactly what you were until someone cared enough about us to tell us the way to find life. Lost people matter. Let me read Matthew 28. Our our job description as a Christian, you know, as a Christian, sometimes you wonder, well, what in the world am I supposed to be doing? If you're not careful, if you, when you become a Christian, after a few months, you'll lose most of your friends that aren't living for Christ anymore. And before you know it, you've got new music, you've got Christian clothes, come on, you've got a Christian book, you've got a Christian app on your phone, you have Christian television that's being recorded, and before you know it, you kind of forget what it was like to be lost. Are you with me today? You forget what it's like, and if you're not careful, we'll even look down our noses, come on, at people who were right in the place where we are. And what I'm trying to tell you today, friends, is there's something more than Christian concerts. There's something more, come on, than hanging with Christians all the time. But lost people are in this world. They're like a drowning man that fell in the swimming pool, and they're looking for someone to rescue them. Lost people matter. The Christian job description is quite simple. Jesus told us what to do after the resurrection, before he went back to heaven. He basically said, there's two things I want you to do. I want you to tell people about me, and then I want you to disciple them. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus came to the disciples. Mind you now, the resurrection. He's overcome death, and he said, go. Everybody say go. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So basically, go and talk to them, baptize them, and teach them. So this idea of making disciples is a twofold process. It is, number one, witnessing, and it is, number two, training. This idea of witnesses, let me know a witness simply tells what they know. That's all they do in court. Well, in case you didn't know, that's what a witness does. A witness goes to court, and he or she tells what they know. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses, witnesses telling people about me everywhere, telling people about me in the line at Walmart, telling people about me in, 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 standing at the bank, come on, waiting to talk to the teller. You'll tell people about me at the family reunion. You'll tell people about me at the ball game. This is normal Christianity because a witness simply tells what they know. And my friend, you don't have to have gone to Bible college to be a witness for Christ. All you have to know is, listen, my life was headed in the wrong direction. I was blind and now I see. Come on, my life was a mess and Jesus is helping me straighten it out. I'm not perfect yet, but I'm headed in the right direction. Come on, I've got peace when I sleep at night, friend, and it's because of Jesus. You say, well, when do I do that? Listen, whenever you just feel that there's an opportunity or an open door, you just try to put your head through it. Somebody went in the beer joint where, where, uh, where Phil was, and they wouldn't let him in all the way, but he just said, hey, I'm here if you ever need to talk to me. And then he came out of the door himself and found him. Witnesses simply tell people about Jesus. They simply talk to them. And a disciple maker is like an electrician training an apprentice. 
If you decide you want to make $25 an hour and be an electrician rather than working at Starbucks, you can be an electrician. You can be in one of the trades. Rubio said this the other night. We need in America more welders and philosophers. People are going to college and they're getting degrees and can't get jobs. But, but, but just because you read a basic electricity book doesn't make you an electrician. You need to someone to show you, to model it, to mentor, to teach you, and to empower you. And that's exactly what it means to help someone become a disciple. It's to take someone where they are and help them make a step up in their Christian life to begin to live for Jesus. And can I tell you, friends, every one of us can do this. Every one of us can be a witness, and every one of us can be a disciple. It is as simple as just inviting someone to go with you to the house of the Lord. I'll show you a little Facebook post someone sent me the other day, put a smile on my face. Oh, here it is in the center. Uh, she said, I pull up to the Sonic in Atlanta, Texas, and look what I find, an invite card to my church in Texarkana. So you, you just... Sow these little cards. You just talk to people. Uh, you share your testimony. Put a dollar in the globe to help buy a Bible. Leading a small group. Uh, helping a Christian who comes to the cross. Last weekend and Sunday, we had about 15 people make steps to Christ. Now, I don't know where they are today, but I can tell you this. If someone would befriend them, if they'd pray with them at the cross, and if they'd say, hey, could I maybe call you tomorrow and help you with the next step of your Christian life and encourage them to read the Bible and help them to be able to walk the Christian life? It's like Christians get born just like a newborn baby in the hospital, but they don't have a nurse taking care of them, so they die. And this is the most important job that you and I have as Christians because lost people matter to God. Here's what the scripture says in First People Nine, uh, First People Nine, First Corinthians Nine, written for people. We should do whatever it takes to reach a lost person. We should do whatever it takes to reach a lost person. Put this next picture up that I had of the drowning guy. It's out of out of sorts, but I think it would fit better. Now, I want you to take a picture of this picture because it comes going to pop up in just a second. Now, I want you to imagine that this person is in that swimming pool. I want you to imagine if you've, ever, if you've ever fallen in and couldn't swim, you know what panic is like. If you've ever tried to grab on or had someone try to grab onto you that was drowning, it is a desperation there, my friend. And that is exactly because, you see, we were created to live and not die, and we will fight for life with everything that is within us. But, my friends, to, it, Paul the Apostle was so gripped by the person. M my wife, and I don't remember when she did this. Which one of our kids fell in the pool? Bethany fell in the pool. My wife is dressed to the nines, and all of a sudden, this gal just goes just like that and jumps in that water and doesn't care that she's got her clothes on because her baby is in the swimming pool, and her baby is doing that. Is it just possible that the Lord would want to make us to have hearts like that, come on, for lost people? Because lost people are drowning just like this person on the picture. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, here's what Paul said. Now, mind you, Paul was an educated person. Paul could have made a lot of money, but he found a priority in reaching lost people. 1 Corinthians 9, 19, he said, Even though I'm a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many people to Christ. 
When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring Jews to Christ. In other words, he'd participate in all the, the Jewish activities and laws. He said, when I'm with the Gentiles who don't follow the Jewish law, I live apart from the law. Why? So I can bring them to Christ. Verse 22, when I'm with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with... See, see when I do this, this means you. I find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. Now, why would this man be so moved, be so desperate, be so intense? I'll tell you, friends, it's because lost people matter to God. Why did our church do a a Jesus Fest family festival on October 31st, just a few weeks ago? Why did we do that? So we could have some fun? No, there's an altar call in the middle of it because souls matter to God. They said, we had some fun, but it wasn't just for Christian entertainment. Why do we have three guys right now that have been away from their families all week that have gone to Haiti, we'll show you some pictures next week, to put a roof on a church, the only church on the little island? Why did they go down there? Can I tell you, friend, it's very simple. Because lost people matter. Because of souls. Why do we, on Tuesdays, go to two different housing complexes in the inner city and have a sidewalk Sunday school? Why do we bring the gospel to those kids? Why do we bring backpacks to give away to them? It's because lost people matter to God. Why do we, why do we take time in the service and there's a little offering container that comes by, encourage you to give or give online? Why do we do that? It's because of souls. Why do people go to nursing homes? Come on. Why do people go to the jail? Not because they're in trouble, because lost people matter, because they want to be able to help people. And this is the true nature of Christianity. It is our job description, is that we are called to reach those who are drowning, to reach those who are driving up Highway 8, not knowing that there is a bridge out, not knowing that there's trouble down the road, that you and I are called to be able to rescue them. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Jesus added to this urgency in John chapter 4 when he said the time to reach lost people is now. I am amazed. I have a friend. Many of you may know him. His name is Jim. He's in Germany. Germany is filled with refugees right now, supposed refugees coming from Syria and around the world. The same group, come on, that went to Paris and killed 150 people in the name of their religion. But yet Jim is responding to these Muslims, and he said, what I do, I meet them, and as I befriend them, I love them, I take them to dinner, I get to know them, and somewhere down the road, I'm going to share Jesus with these same people, come on, that could be a terrorist. Why in the world would he do that? It's because lost people matter. And as a Christian, I don't want to isolate myself. As a Christian, I don't want to move to faraway Alaska. I don't want to move to the boonies to get away from everything just in case the world collapsed. Come on, I want to be right in the middle of it because I've got the life preserver. I've got the life jacket. I've got the means of salvation. I've got that long pole and somebody's in the pool and I can rescue them and I can pull them out. J Jesus said this to his disciples that the time to reach folks is now. John 4, verse 35, Jesus said, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. Unless we're talking about radishes, and then it's about three weeks. Any gardeners in the room here? Yeah, I planted some radishes not too long ago, and I'm just getting ready for the little bottoms to get nice and red. But mostly plants, whether it's tomatoes or squash or whatever the case is, but their food, when you put the seed in the ground, there was a difference between when you put the seed in and when you're able to eat the crop.
Jesus said there's four, don't say that there's, uh, there's this, I'm sorry, four months between planting and harvest, but I say to you, wake up and look around. Can you punch your neighbor and say, wake up? Wake up and look around because the fields are already ripe to harvest. Because you may feel that the little plant is only that tall, a potato plant or a tomato or a cucumber. It may only look that tall, but when it refers to people, there's a ripeness about them. Harvesters are paid good wages. Now listen to this. The fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. The fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits those that plant and those that harvest alike. This is a picture of you and I sharing our faith with people. This is a picture of you and I, well, somebody that went to Phil, that went to the beer joint and talked to him about Jesus. He was kicked out, but then Phil went looking for him one day. It's the picture that Jesus said. Why such an urgency? Last week or the week before that, this continually stuck in my mind. In New York City, there was an EMT He broke protocol because when he stopped at a stoplight, somebody banged on the window of their ambulance and said, I need your help right now because there's a little, I think it was a girl, there's a little seven-year-old girl, she's turning purple, she can't breathe, and I don't know what to do. Now, he thought in a split second, he asked his partner, he said, what should I do? Because it was against protocol, he could lose his job because of the liability issues and going to a place he wasn't called to do. But he, here's what he said. He said, if I know there's a child choking, I'm going to do my best to help her. Why is that? It's because the same reason that Paul said, I become all things to all people that I might win a few. Why does a fireman go in a burning building? So he or she can get a a plaque for the wall? No, because people matter. And I'm telling you, friends, people, lost people matter. Uh, uh, There's an urgency. And the urgency that should grip me and should grip you is the fact that all people that you ever meet on this earth are going to die. And the thing about it, we don't know when we're going to die. Nobody is guaranteed tomorrow. Nobody's guaranteed tomorrow. The second reason there needs to be urgency is because there's no second chances in life. In Hebrews 9, 27, the Bible said, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that the judgment. Listen, friends, there's nothing more important than a human soul. It's to God, lost people matter. I'll close with this scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. It says, God has given us the task of you got to move with me a little quicker here. Of reconciling people to Him. God has given us the task of reconciling people to Him. Now, I want you to get this picture just a moment. I want you to imagine with me that you've got two people that you know and they're mad at each other. Maybe you're a marriage counselor and when you invite this couple to sit in and you're going to counsel them, rather than sitting on the couch and holding hands, one's on the couch and one's on the chair and you know that you've got a problem, somebody's got to help them get beyond the thing that separated them, reach out to them, come on and get them holding hands again, reconcile these two people that are alienated from one another. Can I tell you, friends, the entire human race is alienated from God because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And it is you and I as a responsibility, the Bible says, verse 20, that you and I are Christ's ambassadors. An ambassador simply is a representative. We are God's representatives for God is making his appeal through us. Listen to this. We speak for Christ when we plead with you, come back to God. 
This scripture goes on to say in the New Century Version, we beg you to be at peace with God. And could we just pray in just a few minutes? I'm going to ask every Christian in this room with me to join me, with me, and ask God to help us have a burden for what burdens the heart of God. That God would give us a sense of urgency for the people that are in our world around us that are in desperate need of Jesus. See, because if you're not careful... You may not even be able to remember the last time you shared your faith with someone. When was the last time that you invited somebody to church? When those cards came by earlier, did you eagerly grab some because you know you use them or did you let it pass by? Because it's just not my thing. Can I tell you, friends, it's all our thing. And it's just a tool that we want to be able to help you make it easier, come on, for you to be able to find the next Phil Robertson in this life, come on, that is a drowning man in a pool, flailing their arms up in the air, just waiting for somebody to get down and take them by the hand and pull them up. Come on, let me know that's us. And that's what the Christian life is supposed to be about. Give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of all our praise. In just a minute, I'm going to pray, pray for those of you that are Christian, but... I first want to offer a prayer for those of you that might not be a Christian. Now, how many know going to church doesn't make you a Christian? And being born in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, God shows His great love for us in this way, that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. So through Christ, we'll surely be saved from God's anger because we've been made right with God by the blood of Christ's death. What does that mean? That means that all of us are separated from God. All of us were at one time, as it were, in the water, just treading water. Now, unlike water where you could only tread a few minutes or a few hours, you might be able to tread water for 70 years, but one day you're going to go under. You may be able to only tread water for 19 years, One day you're going to go under. You may be in that water and you may have a a suit and tie on. Or you may be homeless and have one set of clothes and dirty blue jeans, but you're still treading water. How many know we're all in that pool of life? Because Adam pushed us into the pool. And Jesus came to give us a way out. Let me tell you if I can perhaps give you a picture of what Christ did. You know, we used that phrase earlier of lost people, of people who've sinned. I want you to imagine that you have committed a murder. I'm amazed at how many times in our Texarkana paper you see people that are, that are convicted and guilty or arrested for murder. It happens everywhere. But in Texas, not too many years ago, this Outback Steakhouse right down the street here, a former employee came back in the middle of the night and there were three or four people left in the room and he killed all four of them. When this kind of thing happens in Texas... You make your way through the system and you end up huntsful in a prison and you find yourself on death row. Arkansas still uses the electric chair. Texas uses lethal injection. Most states do. But I want you to imagine if your time has come and all your appeals are over, you've gone as high as you could to the governor, but he said, I'm sorry, what you did was wrong. You know you did wrong. And you're sitting in that chair. Imagine it's an electric chair in Arkansas. But you're sitting in that chair, and they read whatever they read because of the guilt of your crime. And you sit down in your your chair, and they start to buckle you up 
and your heart is racing and you're, 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 it's about to pound out of your chest because you know you're about to get what you deserve. But all of a sudden, an amazing thing happened. The warden's standing there, guards are there. Behind the glass is perhaps your family. All people, the victims, the one whose life you took, and they're looking at you. Different emotions. But all of a sudden, the door opens and Jesus Christ walks into the room unexpectedly. And Jesus Christ looks at you and he asks you this question and he says, Would you like for me to bear the judgment for your crime? Would you like for me to take the penalty of what you did wrong on this earth? See, that's exactly what the cross of Christ is about. It's a substitute. My sins were nailed to the cross. Christ died and faced a judgment so I wouldn't have to face it. My sins were nailed there. Well, what person in their right mind, if Jesus walked in and you had no other hope, said, obviously, yes, Lord, I'd like to. So Jesus comes over and he takes the restraints off your arms. You sit there. He sits down in the chair. You're shocked. And then he looks at you. He said, buckle me in. I'll take your place. Everyone's shocked in the room because they've never seen this happen before. But they know that a crime has to be paid for. A sin has to be paid for. And Jesus says, I'll take your place. And as he's sitting in that chair bound in, having done nothing wrong, but just wants to take the judgment for you. He looks over at the warden. He said, I'm ready to die because I love him. All of a sudden, they hit the switch. And he dies. And the warden looks at you and says, you're free to go because someone else has paid the price for what you did wrong. That's exactly what Christ has done for us. He did it for Phil Robertson. He did it for me. He did it for everyone in this room. And maybe you're at a place today in your life where you say, Pastor, I'm, I'm like Phil. Now, it may be that alcoholism and lawlessness defines your life. Or you may be a sophisticated sinner. Everything's going for you. You got a great job. You got a new car. You got a great house. But your heart is still away from God. And what you need is a Savior. Remember what we talked about earlier how to become a Christian, how to be saved? It's that we believe in Christ. We believe in Him. We confess our sin. And we begin to follow Jesus. And I wonder if you're here today and you say, Pastor John, that's exactly what I need. I need to put my trust in Christ. I'm tired of the life I'm living. I believe today that Jesus died for my sins, and I want to begin to follow him. If that's you, I want you to just slip your hand up. I want to pray for you right now. Say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to give my heart to God. Anyone this evening, say, pray for me. God bless you, pal. God bless you over here. Somebody else. God bless you, too. Somebody else, say, pray for me. God bless you, too, dear. Somebody else, say, pray for me. I want to put my trust in Christ today. Give these people one more hand today. Jesus looks at your hand. He sees your hand, and he sees your hand. I want you that lifted your hand, I want you to just come and join me right over here at the cross. And I'm going to ask a couple Christians to come stand with us over here. Come on, give them one more big hand as they're making their way over here. I need, I need three ladies to come and stand over here. Three Christians just to come and stand with him. And I'll have somebody come and stand with him too. I want you to just come and just talk to them about Jesus just a second. And I want you to pray for them as they make this step towards Christ. Now I want all the Christians, if you'll stand up right now. And I want us just to take just a moment. And just ask the Lord. Say, Lord, would you give me a heart for lost people? Can we do that just a minute tonight? 
What I told you this evening is not something that is a believer that you may not know, but here's my question. Are you doing what you know to do? Are you a hearer of the word? Are you a faithful doer? Because Jesus, come on, is concerned about all the people that are around you. They're in your family. They're in your workplace. They're a stranger you might meet at Walmart. Could we just ask the Lord right now, reach out to heaven and say, Lord, would you give me a heart for lost people because they matter to you? Come on, reach out to God right now. Pastor Nick, is he's just going to be able to sing right now. I want you to just say, Lord, would you just give me a heart for people like you have? Would you give me a heart, Lord, for people that are that are sophisticated and away from God and those that are struggling and away from God? Would you help me, Lord? Change me on the inside. Would you give me an urgency? Would you help me see people like the fireman in a burning house? When someone says, my baby is in that house, ask the Lord to give you an urgency right now. Ask the Lord to give you an urgency. An urgency like he gave my wife when her little girl fell in the swimming pool and was thrashing. God, would you help us to be able to do whatever it takes to reach people? Would you help us to be like the Apostle Paul? the great gift, Lord, that's ahead of us. If you've got those little invitations that you took just a minute ago, I want you to just put it in your hand just a second. And I want you to just pray over it right now and just say, Lord, maybe this could be the ticket. Maybe this could be the connection that I could make with someone that's away from Christ. Maybe they'd read the back of this thing and they would read that question about, are you going to heaven? And they'd realize that they have sinned and judgment is hell and and that Jesus shed his blood and that they need Christ. Lord, would you help us be your ambassadors before it's eternally too late? In Jesus' name. Everybody say it. Amen. Hey, let's close one more last chorus and then we'll go tonight. I'm thrilled that you're here this evening. Uh, they've got uh, some turkey and cheese sandwiches in the cafe and some uh, Italian soup. You may want to come back, hang out with some people. But I'm going to ask that our prayer team come back to the altar one last time. And maybe there was something in this message that touched your heart. Maybe you missed coming up earlier for prayer, but you want to settle something with God before you go. We'd be honored to pray with you this evening. So sing it one last time. If you want prayer, you come. I love you very much. The King is among us. His glory surrounds us. His fire is falling as we The Savior is for us, His love is victorious, the Bible is rising Cause we need your revival, Holy Spirit fire, burning ever brighter in our souls, kings and kings. team they're going to remain around front they'll be happy to pray with you for whatever but if not hey hang out with the friends in the cafe we look forward to seeing you next week